Amen. Thank you so much. Praise God. We have uh, found ourselves in the midst of a series um, during this 50 Days of Focus where we're focusing on different areas of our lives and where God wants us to put our focus. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the power of focus. Last Sunday, we talked about focusing on building a godly legacy and the importance of legacy from a biblical viewpoint. So today, we're going to talk about focusing on serving. Since it's Serve Day, I figure this is a great time to talk about serving. So we want to we introduce this by just going right to the Word of God and making sure that we remind ourselves these principles. I know they're the same basics. Some of you are like, man, I've heard that before. But I, I, tr- I trust that your eyes will be opened up in a new level when you understand this concept. So I think a good scripture to begin with is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. And it simply says this, For God bought you, purchased you, with a high price. Who can tell me what that high price was? The death of his son Jesus, right? Pretty high price, right? God bought you with a high price, so you must now honor God with your body, with your life, with everything that makes up your life. So here's the principle. Everything that we have belongs to Jesus. If you are a born-again believer, Jesus is your Lord, then that means he's master. Am I right? He is Lord. And that means when he becomes your Lord, he's not Lord of just your, your spiritual life. He's Lord over everything. That is the principle of stewardship. It's really simple. If we consider Jesus to be the Lord, then he owns us and everything about us, right? So that means he owns our bank accounts. That means he owns my home. He owns my car. He owns my family. He owns my marriage. He owns the shirt on my back. He owns my talents. He owns my abilities. He owns my past. He owns my present, and he owns my future. He owns it all. It's all his, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, it's all his. It's all his. All right, now here's the principle of stewardship. Watch this. I grew up in, in church, and uh, in the church that I grew up in, the word stewardship was thrown around like everybody knew what it was. It used to frustrate me, and I'm like, what are they talking about? Stewardship? What is a steward? So I'm going to explain to you very simply what it means, stewardship means. And by the way, we a lot of times jump to the conclusion when you hear the word stewardship, you think it means you're just talking about money. But the concept, The principle of stewardship is fundamental and foundation to us as Christians. And the steward simply means this. If God owns it, he owns it. He bought us with a price. He owns it all. But he chooses to let us manage it. The word steward literally means a house manager. You know, if you have an apartment complex and there's an owner... They may hire a property manager to manage the apartments. That person is the steward of those apartments. Doesn't own it, but has to report to the owner about what's going on, whether the rent's being paid, all of that. That's the act of a steward. So a steward is someone who manages something that they don't own. So doesn't it make sense that God would use this concept and this principle as we study the Bible? And it says basically that he owns it, it's his, but he calls us to be stewards over it. 
It's the idea that God expects something from me. So if he owns it and he's asked for us to manage it, it helps us to think about what are the things that we need to be stewards over. There's three. If you categorize it very simply, and it's easy to remember because they all start with the letter T. So the three areas of stewardship that the Bible teaches is, number one, we're to be stewards of my time. How many of you agree that's a tough one? Huh? To, be, to have to answer to God who owns everything about me, I have to manage time. Now, we'll talk about the other two as well, but I'll just tell you what my opinion is. I've come to believe, having lived a few years, that that may be the most valuable commodity that we have to manage. And the reason is because money, you spend it, you can make more, right? Talents and abilities, you can actually go to school and develop a new one, get some training and develop a new ability. But time, you can never get time back. Once it's spent, it is gone. So maybe one of the greatest challenges of our lives is to steward our time and to do it in the right way. The second one is my treasure. That has to do with all of our financial resources. God calls us to be responsible stewards, managers, over our financial resources. That includes everything from how we spend money, how we save money, uh, how we give money, everything that has to do with money. He calls us to be good Stewards. Number three is our talents. Talents have to do with your abilities. Spiritual gifts, talents, abilities that you were born with. Let's be honest. Some people are born with certain things just naturally. You remember ever since you were a child, you could just do certain things quite naturally, right? Some you were born where you can carry a tune. You can sing on tune. Some of us are not so gifted. All right? Yeah. So it's very, but all of us have things that we're born with, natural abilities and talents. And then there are other things that, that we've learned through experience. Through experience, we've learned how to do this or how to do that. We've developed this ability. We've developed this skill set. And those things all combine to make up our talents. And then, of course, there are supernaturally imparted things, things that God gives supernaturally to us. And we have this, this reservoir of, of spiritual giftings that God puts in us, and he calls us to the role of managing all of those talents. And it's the third one that we're going to dig deep on and dive deep today to talk about how we can use and steward our talents most effectively. All right? So we're still talking about this principle of stewardship, and particularly as it relates to stewarding our talents, we need to understand the principle of service. Did you know that the word serve in the New Testament, and it's found frequently, is the same original Greek word as the word for minister? To minister, to serve, it's the same word. Just comes out differently in different, in different verses, different texts. So what we have to get into our mind is God has called Every one of his children, every born-again child of God, God's called every believer to be a minister. Now, we have hang-up with even just saying that, don't we? Because we carry some baggage with the word minister. And immediately you say the word minister, either as a noun or as a verb, and you immediately go to thinking what? Oh, well, that's a professional clergy, member of the clergy. No, 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 that's just, that's old thinking, right? So reject that. Every single believer is called to minister. 
Just remember, the idea of ministry and the idea of service are both the same word. I believe that the way we should understand serving God is simply knowing that serving God is serving others and serving God's activity on earth. We know that the local church is God's primary instrument on earth for proclaiming the gospel and doing good in the earth and doing his kingdom business. And so by serving God, we've got to be, if we really want to serve God, then we've got to be involved in serving others and serving God's activity on the earth. I love what Jesus said, as given us, uh, I actually chose to use this out of the Living Bible, which I very infrequently refer to. But the Living Bible paraphrase says it this way. These are the words of Jesus in Matthew 20, 28. He said, your attitude must be like my own. For I did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, how many of you know sometimes we fall into the habit of it's a whole lot easier to be served, isn't it? It's a whole lot easier to be pampered. It's a whole lot other, easier for people to be taking care of, of you know, dish, washing your dishes, preparing your meals, taking care of you when you're sick. I mean, that's a whole lot better. Now, when you start thinking about like this, Jesus is saying, I have come to give you an example. Isn't Jesus our supreme example for living? for life, for everything, right? So he is our pattern. He is our primary example. And he has said, I didn't come with the attitude of receiving, being served. I came to earth with the mindset, the attitude, the disposition of serving. That's the example that we all must learn to follow. So the point is that you're not here just to take up space. You're not here just to go through the motions of your 85-plus years and then just to kick out, done, gone. We talked about legacy last week, how important it is that we build a a godly legacy. You were put here on this planet to worship God and to serve God. That's why we are here. So discovering our purpose Discovering God's master purpose and plan for our lives is really, really important. So some people want to serve God. They say they want to serve God, but when they have the opportunity to serve others, they decline. But God is wanting to change our behavior. So I want to talk to you this morning about this idea of serving God. And the way I want to approach it is I want to examine Jesus. And if he is truly our prime example in life, then we could probably learn some things by the way he served, right? He set an example. I I, I, I just remind you of this story, and I'm not going to turn to the scripture, but all of you remember that just before his Passion Week, the week where he suffered and where he gave his life on the cross, he thought so much, so critically about this idea of serving He wanted to teach his disciples a valuable uh, lesson that would be indelible on their minds. So he gathered them together for a meal. How many of you remember the story? He gathered them together for a meal, but he purposely made sure that the normal slave who was to be by the door, when they came in, the slave was there to take a basin and to take a towel and wash everybody's feet because they were dusty roads. And that was commonplace. That was just as normal as it could be. And this particular evening, guess what? No slave at the door. So his 12 disciples walked right into the room. 
I'm sure, I'm reading between the lines. Sure, they looked around. And, someone forgot to tell the slaves. Sure. Some, some, someone, someone really, boy, they forgot, they forgot to make sure that we have someone here to serve us tonight. And went right on over and have a seat, and they shared a meal, and Jesus just let them proceed with the dinner. A little while, I personally have an opinion here. I think Jesus was very purposely pausing and waiting. Do you know what he was waiting for? To see if anybody, any of the 12 that he had just spent a few years of his life with, if anybody would wake up and go, oh, I should go volunteer. I'll be the slave tonight. Can I, can I, can I? Not one hand, not one person, not any spontaneous response to the need. Boy, that doesn't depict today's too often, doesn't it? We just, we just expect, well, someone else will do it. Oh, it'll get done. Somebody else will do it. Well, surely someone ought to be assigned to be slave today. And Jesus waited for a very uncomfortable period of time. And then what did he do? He went and he took the basin of water himself, put a towel around his waist, and he went to those disciples sitting there eating, and he began to wash their feet. And then he said something to them. He said, very important. Now remember, these are the guys. He is turning over the responsibility of taking his mission to change the world. These are the guys right here. And he looks at them. He serves them. He washes their feet. And he said, just like I've done, this is what you're to do. Follow my example. Out of all the things, the images that Jesus could have left imprinted on their minds when he was getting ready to be crucified, he said, there's one lasting impression. I must leave with those who are going to be my leaders. Those that are going to make the biggest impact for me. What was it? What was the lesson? Serving. Serving was the lesson he wanted to make sure they didn't forget. So if Jesus is our example of how to serve let me suggest to you, if I can, how we learn to serve like Jesus. And I'm going to offer you three different ways, all right? Three different ways that we can learn to serve like Jesus. Number one, serving like Jesus means being available. Can everybody say available? available. Being available. <clears throat> Too often, we place an emphasis on ability. God places more emphasis on availability. He's just looking for people and things that are available. Notice the pattern in Scripture. Hungry thousands of people on the hillside after Jesus is preaching. What is he waiting for? Something to work with. Just something that's available. And a little boy's lunch is all it took to get Jesus to activate the supernatural power of God and do a miracle and bless the thousands with food. You see, we sometimes expect God just to do things like what God can do. That Well, sure he could, but there's a principle here. We have to make ourselves and what we have available to God. So we find in the Old Testament, so what did the prophet say? What do you have? What do you have in your house? Well, just have a little bit of oil, just a little bit of oil. 
That's good enough. We can start with that. What did God say to Moses? What Robin was talking about this morning. He said, what? Ask the question. What is in your hand? And just like Moses would go, duh. You can't do anything with what I've got in my hand. I mean, come on. We don't think think much of what's in our hand. But my point is, we have to make something available for God to do what he wants to do. We make things available to him. I love this proverb, chapter 3, verse 28 says, Never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them today, if you can help them now. The point is what? Availability. Jesus made himself available to minister to people in Matthew chapter 20. We see the scripture tells us the story of two blind men. It says that these two blind men, they shouted and said, Lord, have mercy on us. The scripture says Jesus stopped and he called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? He was what? Available. He was ready and available to answer their request. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6, as we see the calling of the prophet Isaiah, you remember the story, the temple shaking, smoke, angelic creatures shouting, holy, holy, holy. And then the scripture says that God spoke. And Isaiah was humbled and broken and convicted. And it says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? The needs of the world. Deserve somebody to be sent. God is saying, who shall I send? Who will go for us? Who will do our work? And what did Isaiah do? He said, here I am. I'm available. Here I am. Send me. Availability is a key to seeing God accomplish things. Now, in each of these three areas, I'm going to also suggest to you some barriers. Because Availability, as simple as it is, is met with certain barriers. All right? So I've only picked a few in each. So availability. What are the barriers that we may find to our availability? If being available is key to serving, just like Jesus, then what are the barriers? Number one is self-centeredness. Does anybody in this room understand what I mean by that? Self-centeredness. Our greatest enemy is right here. The greatest challenge to being greatly used by God is usually right here. The first barrier is self-centeredness. I love what Philippians chapter 2 in the Message Bible says, forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Sometimes we are just too self-centered. Sometimes it's ego and self and me and what I want, how, what I want to do, my preferences, how I want to spend my time, how I want to spend my money, and I don't want to do that. Now, folks, come on. At some point, we just have to confess some selfishness. We just have to admit that being selfish is the root of man's problems. Let's face it. Man is a fallen creature. The sin nature has been here by the man. All you need to do is look at humanity. It's a mess. It's a mess. Why? Because self. Because of the sin nature. So self-centeredness is really a barrier to being available to God, isn't it? The second barrier is, this may surprise you, perfectionism. Perfectionism, I'm not talking about doing things with the spirit of excellence. 
I believe all of us ought to do things with a spirit of excellence, right? God deserves that, right? But perfectionism is different. Perfectionism says this, it has to be absolutely perfect or I can't do it. I'm not willing to do that because I can't do everything just. And some, some of us, uh, unfortunately, our temperaments lean towards perfectionism. Some of you need a little bit more of that. But anyway, some of us lean towards that. Some of us lean towards that. So perfectionism is usually rooted and based in some inferiority and security, all kinds of other stuff. It's not important that we do a psychological explanation of it. But the problem is it can prevent us from being available to God. Scripture that I chose is Ecclesiastes 11.4 that says this, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Well, that's practical, isn't it? Huh? Practical for life, family, business. And uh, sometimes uh, this kind of attitude leads to procrastination. That might be another barrier. But anyway, uh, an illustration I would just use, and it's a little bit easier for me to talk in this service because he's, he's not here right now. But um, there, there's, there's a guy that almost every Sunday you will see playing drums in our band. His name is Keith. Keith has been playing those drums from the very first Saturday night church service that this church started almost six years ago. And we're talking uh, unbelievably faithful. But not just that, he's gifted. And anybody that knows anything will tell you he's a really good drummer. Now, I wish... I wish this wasn't true, but I have to tell you, there's half a dozen people, at least half a dozen, over the last five years, there's likely more that I just don't know about. I've had conversations with at least half a dozen people who I've discovered, one way or the other, play drums. Half play drums. Play a little drum. And I've said, you mean to tell me that you, you can play drums? I said, I didn't know that. Well, you know, I just didn't know anybody know. And I said, would you tell me why? Well, I said, you know, we, could, we would like to have two or three teams of drummers. And I said, Keith's there every Sunday, almost every Sunday. Once a, once a quarter, we give him a break. And this has been said to me numerous times. Well, Pastor, I, I couldn't volunteer to play drums. I said, why not? Because I'm not as good of a drummer as Keith is. In other words, perfectionism, that comparison, that idea of I've got to be up here or I can't be used of God, keeps people from making themselves available to do different things. Now, that's just one illustration. But I guarantee you there's plenty of us who are holding back sometimes because we think it's just not exactly right. If you're waiting for it to be perfect, It'll never get done. Third barrier to availability is what I just call distractions. Now, we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the power of a focused life. And we talked about how important it is to be focused. If you're going to really accomplish things, if you're going to make a difference in life, you've got to be focused. And one of the keys is we have to learn that distractions can get in the way. There's all different kinds of distractions in life. Oh, my gosh. We've got plenty of distractions in life, don't we? 
There's an abundance of distractions that can get our attention and keep us from making ourselves available. We see the principle in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, that says no servant can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. The point is what? You've got to be focused on one or the other. So you're either going to focus here or you're going to focus here. That can be a distraction. We've got to go all in with our focus. And so we frequently get distracted by all kinds of things that keep us from serving God and serving His purposes. All right, so the first way that we learn to serve like Jesus is we need to be available. Number two, number two, serving like Jesus means being grateful. Being grateful. Let me remind you of a story in Jesus' ministry experience in John chapter 11. He's doing a miracle there to raise Lazarus from the dead. In John chapter 11, verse 41 and 42, this is what Jesus said. It says, Jesus looked up into the heavens. He looked up and he said, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have heard me. And then he added this, I knew, I, I knew you always heard me. I know, I, I know you always hear me. But I'm saying this just so that everybody else can hear what I'm saying. In other words, I'm saying this for their benefit, the people that are standing there. The point is what? He lived and ministered with an attitude of gratitude. An attitude of gratitude makes such a difference in the way we serve. You see, many times we forget the scripture that says in Psalm 100, serve the Lord, how? With gladness, not sadness. Serve the Lord with gladness, which means a grateful, thankful, rejoicing heart. Paul emphasized to the church at Thessalonica in chapter 5, verse 18. He says, be thankful in everything, in all circumstances. Now, wait a minute. Are you telling me I need to be thankful for everything that happens to me? No, but you can be thankful in the middle of it. You can be in the middle of an all-out attack from the devil and you not say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for this wonderful attack. This is so great. The devil is robbing me and stealing from me. Thank you, Jesus. No, but in the middle of it, you can rejoice and thank God for it. Don't thank God for it. Thank God in it. Gratitude makes all the difference in the world in how we serve. You know, there's nothing worse than someone saying that they'll serve in some way or do something and do it grumbling. Mumbling, grumbling, murmuring, complaining. We find it too often. Let's look at what the barriers are. Number one is complaining. So the barrier to serving like Jesus, because he did everything he did with an attitude of gratitude, he did everything he did with this thankful approach, and here the first barrier is this, complaining. Philippians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And he goes right on to say what? Do everything. So God's working in us. To do. And then it immediately says, Do everything without complaining and arguing. Do you think the church today is any different than the church at Philippi? No different at all. So we need to do what's right, knowing that God's working in us, but we need to do it, do everything, but without complaining. Boy, it's so easy to complain, isn't it? It's a whole lot easier to complain than it is to rejoice. 
So much easier. The scripture tells us that we need to do everything without complaining. Um, I, I have to tell you, uh, I'm, I really am convinced today that uh, we live in a culture that is uh, affected greatly, I'm not telling you anything new, that is affected greatly by the advent of social media and technology. I actually believe that, that we are hearing and seeing and aware of more negativity, more complaining, more murmuring than maybe any other time in history. And I think it is much because of the, the advantages, quote unquote, of social media. Because people use social media to vent. And if you didn't know how much complaining was going on, just, just log in and just see. I choose not to most of the time. But you just go ahead and check it out. And what do you see? It, it's amazing. I'm like, man, this world is negative. <laughs> Boy, the world we live in is negative about everything. Everyone's complaining about this and this and this and this, and everybody's tweeting this and this and this. And I'm like, God, help us to return to a Christian approach to serving you, being used by you, which is we just need to be grateful, have an attitude of gratitude. I feel better now. I just feel better having I got that off my chest now. I feel better about that. All right. So number one is complaining. Number two are wrong motives. What is a motive? A motive is the reason we do something. Sometimes we're talking about serving with a Jesus-like attitude of gratitude. Sometimes people do the right things, but they do it for the wrong reason. When we really start to mature in God, God begins to deal with us about our motives. Why are you doing that? What was your motive in doing that? I like this passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 that says, When you do good deeds, see, we're talking about doing good deeds and serving. And doing, when you do good deeds, don't try to show off. Don't do them just to impress other people. If you do, you won't get a reward from your Father in heaven. In other words, if your motives are messed up when you're serving because you're wanting to look good or show off or get, get a brownie point or get some extra credit at church or to impress the pastor or any of the other kind of stupid reasons that we may have, if those are our motives, Jesus is saying this, all right, if that was your motive and you just got acknowledged, that's it. That's all you get. That was, that was your reward right there. But if we do it from the motive of putting our eyes on him, we're doing it for God. Whether anybody ever recognizes it, whether anybody ever says thank you, whether anybody ever says they appreciate it, we're doing it for what? We're motivated to serve God because we love God. If you do it with that, that's the right motive. And let me tell you, that will get you rewards in heaven. Y'all ready for number three? Those are the barriers to gratitude. Number three. Serving like Jesus means being faithful, being available, being grateful. Number three, being faithful. I kind of like that quotation that I included here from Mother Teresa. She said, we're called upon not to be successful, but to be faithful. You know, I think that actually our problem is in, in this country is we have a wrong definition of success. So I think that's the root issue. We have a definition of success that doesn't line up biblically. Because biblically, thinking about from God's perspective, success is actually being faithful. If you're faithful in God's eyes, 
That's success. And I know that man looks at success totally different, doesn't he? So we, we know that Jesus uh, served faithfully. He said in John chapter 17, he said, I brought you glory on earth, Father, by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus, when he came to earth, he was so focused, he was locked in. He had his face set, the scripture says, set like a flint. He had his eyes set on Jerusalem. He knew he was going to have to go back to Jerusalem. He was going to have to die on that cross. And from day one, he had the mission of his father in mind. He was determined to be faithful to the appointment and the assignment of his heavenly father. And that's that's why he could say, Father, I've brought you glory because... I've been completing the work you gave me to do. How many of us can say that? That we've been completing the work he gave us to do. Now, we know the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that the one thing required of servants is that they be faithful. So what does it mean to be faithful? To be faithful means you can be counted on. To be faithful means you don't have to, you don't have to look around and wonder whether uh, someone is doing their job. Someone was telling me, I was talking to a couple of small business owners this week, uh, and they said, uh, some of you could agree with me wholeheartedly. I know you could. They said, Pastor, do you know how hard it is to find good help? Am I right, Irene? Huh? Do you know how hard it is to find a reliable, consistent, faithful person that you can hire, pay a wage, but you can't find people? How many of you know that that's true? Isn't that a sad commentary on our world today, that faithfulness is hard to find. It's fine, hard to find people who are committed to just being faithful. The scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, this is from the Message Bible, which I think gives a great rendering of this. It says this, throw yourselves into the work of the master. Throw yourself into it, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. Throwing yourself into the work of the Lord. Whatever he has got around us, that's being faithful. Giving it your 100%. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10 says, He will not forget how hard you've worked for him and how you've shown your love to him by caring for other Christians. We all know the parable, Matthew chapter 25. The parable, of course, tells the story of the one that left and left servants in charge and he gave him this command. He said, I'm putting you in charge of many things. And when he came back and checked on him, what did he find? He congratulated the one who had been investing what he had given to him. Putting it to work. May I ask you a question? Are you faithfully putting to work the talents, the abilities, the gifts that God has given to you? Or are those things, have they just been shelved? Is it easier just to say, well, I don't have to worry about that. I'll just leave it alone. God wants us to learn faithfulness in every way. That should be the one desire that we have of our day-to-day lives. We want to make sure that when it's our time to go be with Jesus, we say, he's going to say, well done. You were faithful. That is true success. There's two barriers I'll focus on very quickly here as we close. Number one, uh, these are barriers to faithfulness. Number one is just the lack of consistency inconsistency simply means you know you, you do it well here but you don't over the long haul it's not evident you, you, little spurts here and there uh, unfortunately that's not faithfulness and inconsistency can really be a problem first samuel chapter 12 and verse 24 says only fear the lord and serve him 
faithfully with all your heart, not half-hearted, but serve him faithfully with your whole heart. For consider what great things he's done for you. So we need to learn to be consistent over time and be dependable. The second barrier is a lack of discipline. Oh, my. I, I don't think there's, you know, I'm sure some of you are highly disciplined people in this room. But I want to tell you one of the greatest problems I've observed with Christians, even some mature Christians, is discipline, personal discipline, is not a high value. It's just not. Uh, personal discipline that I'm talking about is, is the ability to control yourself. The ability to say no. The ability to be disciplined in daily uh, spiritual activity of prayer in the Word. Not once a week, not once a month. Well, if I have time. The discipline of, of being faithful to God uh, over the small things. Uh, the discipline uh, of our minds. So that when our minds wander with the, the rampant temptations and sexual weirdness that's around these days, that we can discipline our thought life, be sober-minded, be disciplined in what we think, discipline in what we do, discipline in how we behave, discipline with how we treat our children, discipline with how we love our wives and treat our husbands. Folks, we've lost the, the discipline, the art, and the, and the ability to be disciplined. And we don't want to talk about it. I get it. But discipline leads to godliness. Now, you would, uh, when was the last time you heard someone preach on being holy? Uh, man, it's been a long time. Yeah. So you don't, you don't, hear, you don't hear about some well-attended seminar on holiness. Do you? Everybody come that we're going to talk about godliness and holiness. Boy, the place is going to be packed out. Nobody wants to attend that seminar. Nobody's going to pay any registration for it. Why? Oh, no, it's not interested. Because we don't like to talk about it. But the scripture says in Titus 1.8, but be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Disciplined. Lord, help us to be more disciplined because the lack of discipline leads to a lack of faithfulness. It's a barrier to faithfulness. So we're talking about how to serve like Jesus. And we said it means doing what? Number one, being available. Number two, being grateful. Number three, being faithful. So here's what I want you to do. Stand up with me. And I want us just to be still before the Lord. Be honest before Him. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us if He hasn't been already. And I think we need to respond to Him. Respond to the Word of God so we're not just listening, but we're, we're actively pursuing and practicing what He's put before us. So I always ask you here, as you're bowing your heads and being still before Him, if Holy Spirit today has pricked your heart, prompted you to realize that in some way you're not doing what you need to with what he's put in your hands. You've been convicted this morning of where your life needs to adjust or tweak 
so that you're being a good steward of what he's blessed you with. Specifically, your abilities, your talents, your gifts. So Lord, today we repent and ask for your forgiveness where we have stumbled over these barriers and where you have failed to be available and grateful and faithful in our service. And Lord, as you convict us and speak to us today, we'll, we're committing to acting on it, stepping up to the plate, whatever it is that you're asking us to do and to be. In Jesus' name, I'm going to ask that our prayer teams would come forward. I feel impressed today to ask you to respond to this chance to receive prayer of agreement. I feel impressed that there's some people who have some deep soul wounds that you're struggling with, things that have wounded you and hurt you and you're struggling to overcome them. And so I would invite you in just a moment to come and let one of these teams pray with you. I also feel impressed that there's some with physical sickness and disease this morning that are here. This testimony this morning uh, on this healing from cancer ought to ought to make everybody line up for a healing line. I mean, you know, come on. So if you have a need this morning in that physical arena, if you respond, come. These are people who know how to pray prayers of faith. You come and let them agree and pray with you this morning. All right? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to declare over you blessings. And then after this declaration, you'll be free to come for prayer or be dismissed. You ready to receive? I bless you today with the fullness of the Spirit of God. I bless you today with blessings on every hand, blessings at home, blessings in the workplace. I bless your marriages with unity and love. I bless your families with order and cooperation. I bless your finances with abundance today. I bless you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I bless you today, even with all the blessings of Abraham, that you will be overtaken by the blessings of God. Go and be blessed of the Lord. Amen and amen. God bless you.